Welcome to Moving the Needle, a podcast of the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology. I'm your host, Dr. Dina Valachi, president of the ANA. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Ernest Grant, president of the American Nurses Association, the nation's largest nurse organization representing the interest of 4 million registered nurses. A distinguished leader, Dr. Grant has more than 30 years of nursing experience and is an internationally recognized burn care and fire safety expert. Dr. Grant is also sought out for his expertise as a clinician and educator. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Grant, and please tell us more about yourself. Well, thank you, Dana. I'm delighted to be here. Well, let's see. What else can I say? I'm the first male president of the ANA in its 126-year history. Absolutely delighted to be leading the organization at this very challenging time. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, unfortunately, my tenure ends in December. Wish I could do another couple of years, but I've uh, done my four and uh, and that's it. But uh, I am looking forward to the future and this is not going to be the, the last that people will see of that's fantastic, and congratulations to you for breaking a ceiling over there. So that's wonderful. I wanted to say, earlier this year, findings of the national survey revealed that racism remains a challenge across the nursing profession. More than 5,000 nurses took part in a survey conducted by the National Commission to Address Racism, which you co-led. Among the key findings, we learned that 92% of Black respondents had personally experienced racism in the workplace from their leaders. And many respondents across the Hispanic and Asian populations, 60 and 74% respectively, reported that they had personally experienced racism in the workplace. What are your impressions of the survey data, and can you walk us through some of the specific findings? Um, certainly. Thank you. That's a, a really great uh, question. And if you don't mind, I'll let me back up for just a moment and say the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing, it is not just an ANA-only agenda. A lot of people think that it is, but uh, we are uh, co-leads with three other organizations. That is the National Black Nurses Association, the uh, National Association of Ethnic and Minority Nurses, and the um, National Hispanic uh, Nurses Associations. And then there are a total of 39 other nursing organizations that have joined us uh, on this endeavor. So we are extremely happy to, to have all these groups coming together. Um, now, to uh, answer your question about uh, the results of the survey and what I think, it pretty much confirmed what we suspected and what we heard when we did listening sessions uh, at the very beginning of last year when the commission was formed, um, that racism does exist within the profession and that we needed to take steps to begin to address it. Because if, if we don't, it's going to continue to be allowed to perpetuate and you know, and be the downfall of us all in so many different ways, not only just nursing, but I think in healthcare and just in society in general. You could say that the results of this survey pretty much just is a, a mirror of what is happening currently in our society. And so to continue to perpetuate that without saying, wait a minute, this isn't right. Somebody's got to step in and who better than nurses yeah, after 20 years in a row being voted as the most trusted profession, I think this is something that we need to undertake as well. I totally agree with you. It is something that we're, we're the micro of the macro. So definitely whatever happens to society, it definitely plays out in our professions as well. But I do want to say that um, two of our members of the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology who were appointed to work groups for the study said that their participation in the survey was vital and that at the end of the day, patient outcomes are impacted. In what ways can nurses, including us, certified registered nurse anesthetists, can apply some of these learnings? 
So of the nurses who responded to the survey, about 81% said that racism was directed from a peer. That's unacceptable. You know, we, we want to work in an environment that's safe and that allows us to do our jobs and to be very effective while we're, we're doing that. And that can't be done when you're worried about what is my coworker doing or whether or not my coworker is going to be with me or you know, have my back right. uh, you know, if something were to happen, if I were to call for assistance, say if it, was, if it wasn't a coworker, but if it was a patient or a patient family member or someone else who may be um, coming at me in, in uh, either a verbal threatening manner or even physically uh, you know, threaten that individual. Uh, about 57% of the nurses also who said that they were um, have been challenged um, uh, or had seen you know racist treatment in the, the workplace. A good example of that, I guess, is it could be looking at, say, a, a patient's zip code. And then we automatically just begin labeling that individual uh, just because of where their zip code identifies them. And they get, well, for lack of a better term, substandard care. We want to get them in, get them out, and, and that's it. We've seen studies where you could have people of color who come in with a uh, rule out MI. And then you, you have a, a white man who may come in with a rule out MI. And the person of color may be told to evaluate it, but then sent home, told to take Tylenol or aspirin or something like that. And then four hours later, they're coming back in in full arrest, whereas the white gentleman that presented was probably admitted and gotten an even fuller workup. So uh, again, just by either looking at whether or not this person has insurance or where their zip code may be is, is something else. Um, again, 63% of the Hispanic uh, nurses and 73% of the Asian nurses who responded also reported that they personally had experienced some racism in the workplace. And overwhelmingly, along with the Black Native Americans and, and other ethnicities that participated in the survey, uh, again, they began to express how they too had subjects of racism in the work environment. And that takes on so many different things, such as being denied the opportunity for promotions when they are just as qualified as someone else or, or being told that, uh, well, you know, it's not your turn or you have to wait your turn or, or, or they see someone who comes in after them who has less seniority, but then maybe uh, elevated to a leadership position as well. And I guess to, to sort of answer the, the second part of the question is, how can we apply some of these in the same setting or, uh, or how you know, your members will be able to, to recognize that? I, I suggest you ask yourself, am I contributing to this you know, atmosphere by not speaking up? Because to, to be silent is to be complacent, as, as we all know. And so you should ask yourself, are there policies, procedures, guidelines, and things like that that um, for job qualifications that may appear to be legitimate, but underneath we know that when these positions are filled, there may not be a fair chance given to people of color or people from the uh, you know the BIPOC community. If we have nurses who are sitting on the hospital governance committees and things of that sort, uh, to begin to um, push for change with you know from within because that's where it's you know it's best that it starts. And to speak up when we see racism happening, even if you're working in the ER and you see that mistreatment of you know one person over another because of their zip code or whether or not they have insurance. But the, the other thing to think about is it's a violation of our code of ethics. When we say that we will treat people uh, or, or view people as human being and treat them with human dignity, irregardless of their color, their age, their sex, or any other identifiers that we have there, that's what's so important that we're just 
we all have to remember who we are and where we come from, but then also who we are as nurses. And when we take our code of ethics, that's what we live by. That's our guiding, our, our North Star. Well, thank you for that. You always have to self-evaluate yourself and see where you are in the spectrum. Are you part of it, on the side of it, and how can you make that change? So that's, you know, that's a very important point. Um, I do want to say, as our nation's healthcare system continues to navigate through the nursing shortage, as well as um, the burnouts that we're seeing and the increase in mental health, what impact do you think this survey can have on the recruitment and retention of nurses? Really great question. And I'm a firm believer that one, uh, nurses should be representative of the people that we serve. So as this country becomes more black and brown in color, we need to recruit more, uh, more minorities into the profession. It was one of my goals when I was first elected president and took office back in 2019. One of my goals was to actively recruit more minorities and men into the nursing profession. But then we got visited by a little, little guy named COVID and <laughs> got a little sideswipe. But that still is part of my goal today. We need to use Every opportunity should be granted to, to give people who would like to become a nurse to do that, whatever stumbling blocks it is. We, we all know that in some cases, there are some good nursing assistants that are there who, if it wasn't for the fact that they had to work uh, in order to keep food on the table, maybe we can uh, provide them with some, um, some grants. I, I know at ANA, we're up on Capitol Hill now lobbying Congress to uh, put more funding towards nursing education and also for faculty, nursing faculty, and also for uh, APRN education as well, uh, because there is going to be that huge need. And let's not forget that it needs to start in elementary school. We need to start getting kids in the third, fourth, and fifth grade to start thinking about nursing, because by the time they're in high school, they've already made up their mind as to what they want to do. And by uh, in elementary school, you can begin to steer them towards being proficient in those STEM courses that they're going to need to, to take. And one of my projects um, before I got sideswiped by COVID was to work with the Boys and Girls Club of America. And, you know, as they invite people such as scientists or, or, or doctors or uh, pharmacists to come in and talk to kids about, you know, health careers, that they consider inviting nurses and in particularly nurses of color, because most of their programs are in the BIPOC community. So they need to see someone who looks like them and say, well, gee, if they can do that, maybe I can do that as well. So, you know, use that as an opportunity too to help uh, stimulate their thoughts about uh, considering nursing as a career and not only just nursing at the bedside, but obviously as an advanced practice nurse or even a nurse leader, uh, you know, is something that they can uh, begin to think about as well. Along with mentoring, you know, we've got to be able to uh, to mentor those individuals as well to uh, actually help them. And even once you become a nurse, you know, a member of hospital administration or whatever, we need to mentor uh, people that we see potential leadership skills in. And of course, it's one thing to mentor them, but it's another thing to also put them in those positions once they open up. So you don't want to just dangle this carrot in front of them and uh, and give them the skills that they need, but still deny them the opportunity. You need to also follow through and put them in positions of leadership so that uh, they can you can have that great return on your investment. And again, I apologize for the very long answer, but you can tell this is all passionate. <laughs> no, I, I totally understand because um, interesting point that you bring up because 
when you talk about um, recruitment, right, we look at nurses, ICU nurses is where we as CRNAs, we start to try to look to pull people in. And we've got sections in our organization that are actually going into the BIPOP community and pulling them through. What you brought up is about going back to the to the actual grammar school. And I don't think that, that is such an untouched area. And it makes so much sense because most kids, when you start talking, they have some relationship to the healthcare field. So it's usually it was a parent or an aunt or somebody that kind of flip that light switch on, or for us, at least for CRNAs, you always hear like, well, I knew somebody or somebody in the community. So that point of it's not just stop going to the ICU level for us, it's actually going down deep, actually into, like you said, the third, fourth, fifth grade. And that's, that's really critical. Of those who reported instances of racism, more than half, 64%, never saw change. In what ways can we work to foster a safer workplace environment? That's a really great question. Also, you're asking really great questions today. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, as we all know, change comes from within. We need to work for change from within the organization, as I stated earlier, looking at those policies, what policies may be in place that uh, either consciously or unconsciously may create a, a wall or a divide to where particularly people of color may not be able to ascend into leadership. If you have that, the governance committee uh, that is made up of, of nurses, again, begin to push for change within the, uh, the, the system as well. And finally, uh, I think looking within our own self and uh, again, asking, what can I change? Or, or maybe ask yourself, am I perpetuating this? And if so, how can I speak up about talking about racism or, or macro or micro aggression or uh, you know, be the change agent? In other words, just don't be happy with the status quo. When people say, oh, that's the way it's always been done, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. Because if it's always been done that way, then that means that we're continuing to perpetuate this problem. We have to be agents of change and do what is right. And it takes a very bold step to be able to, to speak up or be the first one to speak up for that. But, uh, but all it takes is just that first step and someone to do that first step. And you will find that you're not there alone. There, there will be others behind you. About 60% of the survey respondents experienced racism from a manager and superior. How can we better address that kind of systemic racism? Well, again, structural or systemic racism that uh, practices that are in place that allow a supervisor to continue to perpetuate that, that's got to stop. We take our our messages from our leaders, right? So if you have a leader who is perpetuating that, then the message that's being sent throughout the organization and to the uh, employees is that, you know, we don't care. So that affects morale. It also lets, um, it, it sends a very strong message to members of the BIPOP community that, uh, you know, can I trust administration to have my back or not? And if that's the, you know, the, the situation that is seen, then uh, chances are you're going to see a mass exodus from that place. And the word will get out in the community as well, because we all know that things can spread very, very quickly. So, uh, so, so this is why it's important that we begin to address those behaviors and create a climate that, you know, gives, uh, you know, people that they feel that I can trust those in the C-suite. Uh, they've got my back. I can go to them. We have a zero tolerance towards, you know, these acts and et cetera. And, and I've seen where it has been backed up, uh, you know, in situations where perhaps someone may have been 
committing acts of racism and et cetera. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, they enforced a zero tolerance policy. And, and usually all it takes is just one time to do that. And, and that will definitely uh, set the, uh, you know, the uh, agenda, if you will. So uh, I think when, um, as I said, we take our, our cues from our leaders. So all it takes is that leader who's saying, just because we have a policy, um, you know, just leaving it there is not going to be good. When they say we have a zero tolerance policy and when this situation happens, you know, we will address it. And, you know, that sets the tone. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You, you can't just have just a paper with no action and no, um, you know, support of that. So um, you definitely have to follow up on that. Um, and my next question to you would be, what actions are being taken specifically as a result of this survey from the commission and the ANA? And what guidance can you give or offer to the nursing profession as a whole? Well, some of the actions, one, uh, we do anticipate releasing a report of the Commission on Racism uh, on May 7th. We chose May 7th because that is Mary Mahoney's birthday. And, uh, and of course, it is during National Nurses Month. So uh, very crucial that that, that be uh, released at that time. The way the report is divided up is that it's going to address racism in nursing from four specific areas. Nursing education. And let me stop and just say that when we talk about nursing education, this is where it begins. You know, it's just like a uh, a newborn baby. You don't go in, uh, perhaps, into to nursing or nursing education already with a, uh, a racist or a prejudiced mind. It is sort of taught to you when you have instructors who will say, people from this culture, this is the way they handle pain and et cetera. So, uh, you know, it, we believe that and begin to perpetuate that. And, of course, when we see it in... Um, case studies or on the questions that we're going to be getting from, uh, you know, from the NCLEX exam. So we're hoping that by addressing it from an education uh, format, we'll begin to see changes in, uh, you know, the education textbooks, subsequently changes on the NCLEX exam as, as well, that will totally begin to uh, address this topic. And then it spills over in the clinical practice. And again, just the example that I gave where it's so easy to fall into the group norm, if you will, when you get that person who comes into the emergency room and they're labeled a frequent flyer or, you know, they're from this part of town. So let's get them in, get them out and et cetera. And because they, you know, without really understanding why this person coming to the emergency room versus, you know, having their own private uh, physician that they can go to and et cetera. So uh, again, addressing it that way. And the third area is the area of research. We need more further research to understand uh, about the, you know, the different cultures of the BIPOC community and not just make assumptions because of you know, what we may have learned in nursing education. Everybody is different. Even though they may be from a representative of an ethnic group, you can't just lump people into to one thing and say, well, I know this group, the way they handle pain is you know, that they have a very strong faith or whatever else. So we're not going to give them much pain med. Meanwhile, that person is <laughs> laying there screaming going, you know, I may be black, I may be, you know, Native American or Hispanic or whatever else, but, you know, I'm in pain. Don't, you know, just don't rely on what you've learned there. And of course, policy as well. What policies have we put in place that has uh, denied that? So those are the, uh, the four sectors that will be done. The other thing about this report or the commission, it's not just going to be a one and done deal. We have uh, the, the promise that this will continue on in perpetuity so that we can um, begin to continue to address this. You know, it's not just going to be a, a one and done. And the other thing is it can be used as an example by other healthcare professions uh, as well. 
to begin to address uh, racism within their particular specialty also. We welcome uh, you know, their input, and we also will be more than happy to help them as they begin to make these changes. So we hope that this, um, as I said, will serve as an example and that the, uh, the work of the commission will continue on and uh, will begin to have a much better profession as a result of addressing these, uh, I guess, it's one of those that we recognize that it's there, we just don't want to talk about it. So we really need to talk about it, get it, air our laundry and, you know, get it out there and be able to really, uh, you know, be the change that we want to see happening. I really want to thank you as my guest today and for joining me for this vital conversation about racism in the nursing profession. And I value your insight and I enjoyed having you with me on Moving the Needle. So Please join us next time for another episode of Moving the Needle. Thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Come back soon and be sure to visit ANA.com. Thanks again.